Let us open our Bibles to Romans chapter 5. Marvelous grace of our loving Lord. Grace that is greater than all our sins. And grace that is greater than the sin that first condemned us. The sin of Adam. We come to three verses in Romans chapter 5 that are considered by many Bible readers to be difficult. They're long verses. They may appear a little convoluted in reading them because of the word not that appears in the first two, but they are precious jewels. And they are here for a reason. They are here to glorify the Lord Jesus Christ, exalt the grace of God, and comfort the hearts and souls of the elect, and to give them greater assurance of salvation and eternal life. In the light of the horrible facts declared in verses 12 through 14 of the condemnation that we are under by our first father, Adam. I would like to read to you verses 12 through 17. Romans chapter 5, this is the word of the Lord revealing to us transactions beyond our comprehension and effects beyond our ability to measure. Romans 5.12 Wherefore, as by one man, sin entered into the world, and death by sin. And so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. For until the law, sin was in the world. But sin is not imputed when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over them that had not sinned after the similitude of Adam's transgression, who is the figure of him that was to come. But not as the offense, so also is the free gift. For if through the offense of one many be dead, much more the grace of God and the gift by grace, which is by one man, Jesus Christ, hath abounded unto many. And not as it was by one that sinned, so is the gift. For the judgment was by one to condemnation, but the free gift is of many offenses unto justification. For if by one man's offense death reigned by one, much more they which receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one, Jesus Christ. Amen and amen. My dear brethren, my brothers and sisters, this passage describes the sovereignty of God and our peculiar doctrine of salvation may be clearer and more forcefully than anywhere else in the Bible. Here we have imputation or the accounting, reckoning, or charging of sin and righteousness to a respective constituency of the first Adam and the second Adam. And it is powerful in the comparisons of similarities and the comparisons of dissimilarities. And we want to rejoice in them. The effect of the two Adams is enormous. The effect of the first Adam has killed 90 billion people in the history of the world. That's my estimate. You can take it up with me later if you disagree. And it's actually 85. But the effect of the first Adam is enormous in the number of human beings it has taken down to death by the offense, the sin, the transgression of one man at one time. Adam sinned many sins, but there was one sin for which the entire human race is guilty and legally responsible, and it will take them down to physical death. It has already given them spiritual death, and it will cost them the second death, but for a Savior. The second Adam is greater, and we shall see that today. If I fail in communicating to you these three verses, I am sorry. I have begged God to help me, and I hope that you have prayed for God to help me. But if you don't pay attention, it's your fault. 
There's three verses. We're going to cover them. I will not be that long. I have a schedule. But we want to look at the words of these verses and understand what is communicated to us right here. Verses 12 through 14 gave us the horrible doctrine. Not that anything that God has done is horrible, but it's horrible in its effects and its consequences through Adam. A terrible doctrine. And it causes terror. And so the death is described by Bildad in Job chapter 31 as the king of terrors. It's in verses 12 through 14. One man brought sin into the world, and death came as a consequence of sin, because God told Adam in the day that thou eatest thereof, and you sin against me in this one particular offense, it'll bring death on you and your entire progeny, your entire posterity, all of the descendants that come from you. This is a covenant not revealed in Genesis, but revealed right here in Romans chapter 5. There is progressive revelation in the Bible, and you can be thankful that you live after the 66th book because you see the whole panorama of God's drama in creating the world, in allowing sin to enter the world, and then sending a Savior to deliver those that believe on Him out of this world. Verses 13 through 14 are also two verses in the parentheses. There is an extended parentheses that runs from verse 13 to the end of verse 17. Because 18 and 19 repeat the declaration of the doctrine given in verse 12. And I do want you to understand and see an outline of the verses. 12 is a declaration. Wherefore, as by one man, and so forth. Sin entered, death followed, death passed on all men, for that in Adam... All have sinned. Then that's declared again in 18 and 19. Therefore, in verse 18, and then in Romans 19 that we quote so often, for as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. This is the doctrine of representation. Adam represented the entire human race. And Jesus Christ represented his entire race. The race of God's elect. But the doctrine is horrible. Death is going to take every one of us down. We have recently had one of our brothers in this assembly depart from us and his body die. And we saw the breath leave it and the spirit passed out of it and returned to his father in heaven. But the body was dead and that death is going to take every single one of us down. You will not slow it nor stop it. There is no discharge in that war. There is no power in man to retain the spirit in the day of death. Our spirit is going to leave. It's a consequence of our first father. And it's a doctrine taught here, and this is original sin in this passage. This is the doctrine of representation. This is the doctrine of the federal headship of Adam over the entire human race. There is no total depravity in these verses. And I would beg you never to be confused about these verses. If you confuse the Word of God, you will miss the power of it. We have a corrupt nature, but it's not taught here. This is a legal transaction. It's a legal transaction where Adam represented us, and it's a legal transaction where Jesus Christ represented His elect. But the total depravity isn't here. Don't confuse them. Don't take our nature into these verses because this is a legal transaction. I do not like to see the confusion in commentaries where they want to mix original sin and total depravity. And I've made the point before, but I want to repeat it because I am discouraged by seeing this passage muddled up when it doesn't need to be muddled. There's beauty here, and I hope that I can convey it to you. This is an illustration of imputation. Imputation is the accounting or the counting or the reckoning or the charging, to the account of a person, what another has done in their place. Adam sinned, and that was imputed to us. We were charged with the guilt of his crime, and therefore we fell under the condemnation of the punishment for his crime, which is a threefold death. Spiritual death immediately, which is why he knew he was naked, hid in the garden, and blamed his wife. Physical death, which he died 930 years later, and which you will not live that long. 
and then the second death when we shall be cast into the lake of fire. This is the, res- the result of our relationship to Adam. It can be called original sin. We tend to call it the doctrine of representation. It has been called by some theologians the federal headship of Adam over the human race. This is a horrible doctrine in its consequences. Where did death come from? Because God assigned the guilt and the responsibility and the punishment of Adam's sin to the entire human race. It doesn't matter if you have not sinned by breaking a direct commandment of God like Adam did. Because verse 14 tells us that even from Adam to Moses, before there was a law of Moses, those who didn't break an express commandment of God still suffered death. Because nevertheless, in verse 14, death reigned. Death is king. Death has dominion over us. Death will take you down. You cannot fight it off. It is the last enemy, and it is a great enemy. But Jesus Christ has abolished it. As I began this assembly from 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 9 and 10. And it will be taught plainly right here. This is the sovereignty of the God of heaven. I am sick and tired of reading any who would accuse God of unrighteousness if our doctrine be true. That unless he gives every individual man free agency, whatever that means, in order to sin themselves and bring death upon themselves, or to live righteously and bring life upon themselves, I'm not even sure what they mean by it, because we have a depraved nature, but that's not taught here. They want to bark against God. God chose the best of our race. And He wasn't marginally better. He was considerably better. I would like to say infinitely better than you and I. When you compare His circumstances in Eden to your circumstances in Greenville, they are considerably better. His innate abilities and the circumstances around Him and His relationship with God and the lack of temptation except one. By a little woman with a smiling navel who enticed him into sinning and damning our race. And he did not stand up against his wife, Eve, who gave him of that fruit and he ate of it. And it cost us dearly, as those three verses describe. So as we come through 12, 13, and 14, we realize this doctrine is being established by Paul in no uncertain terms. One man sinned, All men die because of one sin. And it's going to be repeated over and over all the way down through the end of this chapter to make sure you get the point and those who deny original sin can be hung out to dry as being heretics. We come to the last clause of verse 14. Who is the figure of him that was to come? Oh, Lord, thank you for introducing the great subject of the comparison, the similarities. A figure is a symbol or an image of another thing. Adam was a image or a likeness, a similitude, a sign, a figure of the Lord Jesus Christ. Adam gave us a picture of Jesus Christ. Because Adam's sin was applied to our accounts. And the Lord Jesus Christ's righteousness will be applied to the accounts of his elect. All those that the Father gave him, he shall surely save and not lose one of them. And so he is a figure. So in that, that last clause of verse 14, you have the Holy Spirit telling us there is similarity between Adam and Jesus Christ. Adam stood as a representative for the race, and we suffer as a consequence because of what he did. But Jesus Christ stood as a representative of his race. As in Adam all die, all those in Adam do die. All those in Christ shall be made alive. And who are those in Christ? Those chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world. Those who were given God's purpose and grace before the world began. That's Ephesians 1.4 then, 2 Timothy 1.9. Who is the figure of him that was to come. 
So, there's similarity. This doctrine of imputation was true with Adam's sin being applied to the race, and it's true of Jesus Christ's obedience being applied to his people. The angel told Joseph in Matthew chapter 1 and verse 21, She shall, speaking of Mary, bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. That is the doctrine of the Bible. This is the coming of the Savior, but Adam was a picture. Adam made us all sinners by his one sin, because we were held accountable for it, and we would suffer the consequences of it, but Jesus Christ obeyed for us, and therefore made all those in him righteous. So we have a comparison in verse 14, which is necessary for you to grasp it and really lay hold of it so that you understand the buts, the nots, the much mores, and so forth, the alsos, and the words that we have in verses 15 through 17. You need to grasp the fact that a similarity has been stated in verse 14. There is comparative likeness between Adam and Jesus Christ as the heads of two human families. One, the entire biological, natural family of Adam, and the other, the spiritual, elect family of Jesus Christ. Having said all that, we come to verse 15 that starts with a but. A holy, inspired, disjunctive, but. But, though Adam is a figure of Christ, though there are similarities between Adam and Jesus, though imputation can be seen in both accounts, but, this is what we get to celebrate all day today, but, there are some differences. And the differences should make us rejoice in the grace of God, the gift by grace, the one man Jesus Christ, the many offenses Jesus has paid for, and the power that we have now over death. Because we reign in life by one, Jesus Christ. We're going to see that in three verses. If you want to boil it down to three words in one sentence from me, if I can get it out in one sentence or close, this is what I want you to take out of these three verses. I was sorely disappointed at what commentators do with these three verses. Many of them have little to say. Some of them want to bark against the doctrine that's here because it's too strong for them. You know, there are people in the pews that will no longer endure sound doctrine. There are men in pulpits that will no longer endure sound doctrine. Albert Barnes hates our doctrine. I'll mention him by name. But it was not until last night that I discovered when I took the occasion to read a few commentators word for word from the beginning of 15 to the end of 17, I discovered why he hates the doctrine. He hates the doctrine for the consequence of what he would have to admit if he admitted that imputation is taught here. He says over and over and over and over again, there is no imputation taught in Romans 5, 12 through 21. Over and over, no imputation. Adam sinned, sin came into the world. Now there was this thing floating around called sin, and Adam died, and then the rest of us that came from Adam decided that we would sin too, and so we died for our sins. That's Albert Barnes' position. But he admits why when he gets into the middle of the three verses that we have today. He admits it because he knows this. If he grants imputation, then he knows that salvation is entirely by the representation of the Lord Jesus Christ for his elect without their participation, cooperation, acceptance, or receiving. And he said so. And I was about ready to explode through my skin. That's why we love the passage. We see the consequence. And we love the consequence because we know that if it's our cooperation, it's not going to happen. We know that if it's us taking our depraved nature and turning it to be spiritually minded toward God to receive the things of the Spirit of God, 1 Corinthians 2.14 tells us we can't do it. We need the Lord Jesus Christ to stand in our place and to do it for us like Adam did. 
I don't often, well, I do name names from time to time, but I don't do it too often. But for those of you that I have recently encouraged and told that Albert Barnes is generally, and I still will say it, generally sober, cautious, logical, careful, and thorough. He is, but oh, don't read him in Romans chapter 5. I'll come by your house and delete that out of the online Bible program. It's horrible. But nevertheless, we know what it says. The whole point, did Paul repeat it enough times for you that it was one versus the many? One versus the many? One sin made many dead. Did did, did you get that? One sin made many sinners. It wasn't their sins that made them sinners. It was one man's sin that made them sinners. It was one man's obedience that made many righteous. The whole, that's the, that's the point of the passage. But, but, there are some dissimilarities. Let's get them. Verse 15. But not as the offense, so also is the free gift. Now let's pull the word but and let's pull the word not out of there so that you can grasp what the words are saying. And we've already been over this last Lord's Day, but I want to repeat it. As the offense, so also is the free gift. Let's just for a moment pull those words out. and You'll see why for you to grasp the but and the not. As the offense, so also is the free gift. Now that as so construction and that as so also construction is comparing two things. That's what the word also is there for. Also is an adverb telling you the two things are being compared. And the two things are highly similar in their nature and, and traits. That is established by the two adverbs as and so. As the offense, however that offense occurred, which was by imputation, so also the free gift occurred by imputation. It was stated that way in verse 12. There was an as so there. There's an as so in 20, I mean 19. There's an as so in 21. There's an as even so in verse 18. It's throughout this passage. That little construction or two adverbs as it happened in this particular case, so it happened in this particular case. They are like each other. They have similarities. This second case occurred just like the first case. And so it's as so. That as so is this. The simplest verse is 19. The others have a lot of extra words. They're good. But verse 19 is the easiest. For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. The as so means, I am showing you that the doctrine of representation was true in both cases, Adam and Christ. As one man sinned and made many sinners by the legal imputation of his sin to them, so the obedience of one, Jesus Christ, is imputed or charged to his elect so that they are made righteous by His righteousness, because His obedience and righteousness is put to their account. As so. I said it enough last Sunday, and that's all I have time for today. That is what is being stated there, and it's stated again in verse 16, but 16 also has a not. And it's implied in verse 17, but 17 has a much more. But, not, and much more. Though there is a similarity, this is what the Holy Spirit's teaching us. Though there is a similarity, and Adam's sin was imputed to the whole race, and Christ's righteousness is imputed to the family of God, there are some things that we can contrast between Adam and Christ to glorify the grace of God, to exalt Jesus Christ, and to comfort our hearts as to how great our salvation is. Where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. Abound is not only found in verse 20, where you're used to finding it. It's also in verse 15. And abundance, which is based on abounding, is found in verse 17. We're going to have comparative words showing that Jesus Christ is far superior to Adam. The word but that opens up verse 15 is to tell you that the figure, the comparison in the last part of verse 14 is not all that perfect. Because 15, 16, and 17 are going to show us some ways in which Jesus Christ is superior to the figure of Adam. And then we have the word not. And that not that is stuck in there tells us that the as so is being interrupted. 
Adam and Jesus are very much alike. Adam is the figure of Jesus, but not perfectly. Did, did you hear what words I used? But not perfectly, but not exactly, because there are some differences. So the first sentence of verse 15, but not as the offense, so also is the free gift. The as and the so also are saying there is a figure here, as I stated in verse 14. The words but and not are telling us there are some dissimilar things that we want to identify and exalt as high as the Lord will allow us on how Jesus is different than Adam. There are differences. So we have but and not. The value of these three verses in these parentheses is to exalt the grace of God, the gift by grace, the Lord Jesus Christ, the covering of all your sins, and the fact that you have authority now over death. Three words. I got waylaid, didn't I? Three words. Can you remember these three words? Romans 5.15 teaches the qualitative difference between Adam and Christ. Quality. Quality is the nature, the character traits, the intrinsic makeup, the value of a thing compared to another thing. If you're comparing quality, you look at the traits of the one thing and the traits of the other, the value of the one to the value of the other. The first verse is quality. If you remember these three words, if you write them in the margin of your Bible, you'll have these three verses down pat. Verse 16 is quantity. Verse 17 is authority. Those three words, if you remember them, you will see the superiority of Jesus Christ over Adam. The superiority of salvation to condemnation. The superior imputation. And the superior overwhelming salvation that is in Christ Versus the condemnation of Adam. Three words. Verse 15 is quality. Verse 16 is quantity. And verse 17 is authority. I'll prove them to you. I'll show it. And we'll max, we'll maximize, we'll exalt and magnify the grace of God, the gift by grace in the Lord Jesus Christ by looking at these comparisons. And they're pretty plain if you look at the verses closely. The first sentence of verse 15, but not as the offense, so also is the free gift. This is the first occurrence of gift in the book of Romans. You know, we know that the Bible teaches us that salvation is the gift of God. But the word gift is, and salvation as a gift is taught more right here and more intensely and more repetitively than anywhere else in the Bible. Right here in these verses. We have six occurrences of the word gift in three verses. There's two in verse 15. There's two in 16. There's one in 17 and one in 18. Now that's a lot. That's an intense point that is being communicated to us that salvation is a gift. Not as the offense, so also is the free gift. The condemnation that came upon all men because of Adam's offense was not a gift. It was wages being paid for the violation of the terms of a covenant by Adam. Very different in the nature of God as to how each of these came about. What is a gift? A voluntary choice of a giver to bestow something special to another. The desire to do so springing from the giver's nature, not the performance of the recipient. That's a gift. A gift is when a person decides to give or do something special for another and it simply arises out of that person's own loving, kind, generous, gracious nature, rather than something performed by the object of the giving, the recipient of the gift, so that then it would become wages or reward or a debt obligation. Do you understand the difference there? It's a gift. And not as the offense, so also is the free gift. It's not only a gift, it's a free gift. This is the quality of the difference in the imputation and the doctrine of representation between Adam and Christ. God, by nature, is loving and good. He is just and holy and righteous. 
But He is loving and good. That sunshine outside this building right now is a proof of the goodness of His nature even to His enemies. Because He uses that sunshine in Matthew chapter 5, verses 43 through 48, as an illustration of how we are to love our enemies because He loves His enemies. It is more compatible with the nature of God and it is a greater display to show His love and His kindness and His mercy, which springs out of His own nature, than to enforce the terms of a covenant where we forced His hand. Will you follow that with me? When He charged sin and the punishment of death to the entire human family, He was bound by a covenant to do so. The Bible tells us He doesn't take particular pleasure in His nature by the death of the wicked. He takes pleasure in displaying His justice and His righteousness when He's forced to. He would rather have men repent and turn from their wickedness so that He could bestow upon them blessings of forgiveness. The Bible teaches that in both Testaments. We forced God's hand in the Garden of Eden. He made a covenant with Adam. Adam, there's a tree of life. Thou mayest freely eat of the tree of life. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, thou mayest not eat of it. And the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. Adam could have lived forever. Adam chose the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He forced God's hand to punish him for an offense. Every father knows what I'm talking about. Fathers? Now, not every father does. I I want to withdraw that statement. Jury, please disregard that remark. Good fathers know what I'm talking about. They would rather, out of the creative spontaneity of their own minds and loving hearts, do something special for a child than to come home from work and find out that that child has offended and broken a rule that had a punishment promised with it and they're going to have to enforce that commandment and punish the child. Every good father knows what I'm talking about. And the Lord knows that about us, but He also knows that He is better than we are. Because He said in Matthew chapter 7, If ye being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more? Does your heavenly Father know how to give good gifts? This is a quality difference. And the emphasis in this particular verse is the offense versus a free gift. That is what you're supposed to focus on. How are we, how do we know that's what we're supposed to focus on? Because those are the words of comparative dissimilarity that God the Holy Spirit gave us. But not as the offense so also is the free gift. We forced God's hand by covenant to exercise His justice and righteousness. No one forced Him in any way to show His grace and His kindness by giving the gift of His own Son for rebel enemies. One, one is... I am struggling to communicate this to you. It is absolutely beautiful. We forced God to do what He did in Eden. No one forced Him to do what He did at Calvary. And unbelievable, what did He do at Calvary? A free gift. Free. There was no constraint whatsoever on Him. It was something that rose out of His pure nature. We forced His hand in Eden. He showed His hand at Calvary. He showed mercy and grace and a gift and a free gift. And what was the gift? It was the death of His own Son. We're going to see it throughout the day. Lord, help me to communicate it to you. It's glorious. All in parentheses. All by some little words like but and not. But not as the offense. So also is the free gift. Remember, it's quality. What is the qualitative difference between Adam's imputation and Jesus Christ's imputation? What is the difference here in value or nature or the makeup of these two things. One was by constraint due to an offense where a promise had been given, if you do, and it's really stupid if you do, but if you do the really stupid thing and do 
By eating the fruit off the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, I will punish you with death. Though I've given you the tree of life, and you may freely eat of every tree in the garden, including the tree of life. That's qualitatively weak compared to the spontaneous, creative ambition of God to magnify His grace and His salvation and a free gift to rebel enemies. That is the opposite of constraint. There is every constraint in our minds that if I had a rebel enemy, I would not give them a free gift. But God did. But not as the offense. So also is the free gift. Just that That's all we need to have right there in that first sentence. There's imputation in both cases. There's representation in both cases. There's federal headship in both cases. But there is a difference. One is an offense. It's being forced to punish. We forced God's hand. He showed His hand. And how merciful and gracious He is in giving a free gift to those that verses 6 through 8 told us were without strength, were ungodly, and were his enemies. Quality. Marvelous grace of our loving Lord. Grace that is greater than all my sin. Brethren, the difference is between paying wages and giving a gift to show how great you are. The difference is between loving a good man and loving an enemy. Even sinful men can grasp the difference of what I'm talking about right now, and you know it, and God knows it, that you know it. But he says, I can do it much better than you. It is a pleasure for a father to think of what would really be special to give a child. And just to spontaneously, creatively want to display his loving nature toward a child by giving him something special out of the clear blue sky. But, you know, that isn't good enough. It's just the best comparison we have in the Bible on the particular aspect that I'm dealing with at the moment, verbally. It's the best we have because we're not his children when he gave Jesus Christ to die for us. Right. We were his rebel enemies. So it's far greater than that. It's important to see that the gift of eternal life by Jesus Christ is described here as free. This adjective, modifying gift, has already been used in chapter 3 and verse 24, and it's going to be used twice more in this passage. It's going to be used in verse 16. It's going to be used in verse 18. When you read these verses and you read them carefully, you see some adjectives and nouns that, that are not used so widely in the New Testament, but they are just jam-packed into these verses right here. Gift. Grace. Free. Repeated over and over for our comfort and our benefit. I want you to consider that God wasn't free in inflicting death on Adam and his entire posterity. He was bound by his own covenant. He was bound by a covenant of justice and righteousness. Adam, if you sin, I've given you the tree of life, I've given you the tree of the garden, but if you sin, I will bring death upon your entire posterity. There was no such binding of him in giving his son Jesus Christ. We forced his hand. And so there's a qualitative difference. Grace and gift and free gift and his own son. I mean, how can you even imagine that the, how can you compare an imputation where a mere man caused an offense that brought death by claims of justice in God's own nature upon the whole human family? How can you compare that to God sending His only begotten Son and killing Him with death in order to give eternal life as a free gift to His enemies. That is a huge difference in quality in the nature of the two things. I know I'm repeating myself, but I want you to get it. If you just want to write one word in the margin of my 15, it's quality. The, the salvation that is in Jesus Christ is qualitatively far superior to the quality the nature, the value, the, the makeup of the imputation of Adam's sin to us and death because of Adam's sin. That's the first sentence of verse 15. But not as the offense, so also is the free gift. Beautiful. Thank you, Lord. For if, there's no doubt here, 
There's no doubt or uncertainty about the truth of the doctrine. He, Paul is just setting up a point by the word if to make a comparison. For if, through the offense of one, many be dead, much more the grace of God and the gift by grace, which is by one man, Jesus Christ, hath abounded unto many. If God, if God would take one man's sin in Eden and apply it to the man's entire race of 90 billion human beings that have come from him, if he would do that, then there is a much greater certainty that he will apply the qualitative superiority of grace and a gift by grace and what his son, Jesus Christ, did than what he did in applying Adam to Adam's race. That's the purpose of the 15th verse. To show, to comfort you, to exalt the grace of God. If God would enforce his justice on a mere man, what's he going to do with a gift from his own creative blessing toward his enemies that was a gift, a free gift, by grace, and it involved his son, Jesus Christ, rather than just Adam, who was just a pile of dust from the earth. Instead of the Son of God. For if through the offense of one many be dead, and that is true, we don't even need to repeat anything there, we understand that. For if through the offense of one many be dead, much more the grace of God. The grace of God is much more powerful because it is the spontaneous creativity of what God wanted to display in the universe. The reason that there is a universe is for God to display His grace. The reason that there was ever a fall allowed was to get him to something bigger than a fall. It was to show the riches of his grace on the vessels of mercy, which were afore prepared into glory, so that we in the eternal ages of heaven will sing of his loving kindness toward us, according to Ephesians chapter 2, the first seven verses. Much more the grace of God. This much more. We've rejoiced in it in verse 9, didn't we? We love much more in verse 10 of this same chapter. Do you know how many times Paul uses much more in Romans chapter 5? Because he is making comparisons to exalt the grace of God in our salvation. Much more was in 9 and 10. Much more is right here in verse 15. And much more is in verse 20. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound, but where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. This is the quality difference. In verse 15, the difference between God's grace and God being forced to show His justice as opposed to God choosing to show His grace and to just heap it on us as a with a free gift purchased by someone far dearer to Him than the first Adam, His only begotten Son. All three things are mentioned there as the nature of the superiority of Jesus Christ's imputation compared to Adam's. First sentence... Offense, free gift. Now, you should get it with that. But in case you didn't, then he says, here's the comparison. Expand a little bit. One man's offense, grace, a gift by grace, purchased by Jesus Christ, the Son of God. What is the entire gospel of this epistle? Romans chapter 1 and verse 1 tells us, and 2, that Paul was separated unto the gospel of God, Verse 3, concerning his son, Jesus Christ our Lord, which is made of the seed of David according to the flesh. The gospel of Jesus Christ, or the gospel of God, is about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Grace is greater. A gift is greater than a constraint by a covenant. And Jesus Christ is greater than Adam. And in those three ways, there's a qualitative difference between the imputation of Adam's sin to us, and the imputation of Jesus Christ's righteousness to us. I hope you can see that. What is the Bible? I'm trying to avoid getting off the subject too much and showing in the Bible, both Testaments, that God has a nature that is aligned in some priorities and why he created the universe. What is judgment called in the Bible in Isaiah chapter 28? God's strange work. His strange work. 
Yes, he tells us why. I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked would turn from his wicked ways and live. You force me to show a side of me that I would not otherwise show. You force me. But God is love. And his choice was to show love through his son Jesus Christ and save us, even when we were rebel enemies, by a free gift. The constraint versus the freedom. The bondage versus the gift. The wages versus the gift. The one man Adam just dust versus the Son of God conceived by the power of the Holy Ghost. The qualitative differences is what verse 15 is all about. For if through the offense of one many be dead, much more. Remember, the purpose is to exalt the grace of God, to comfort the hearts of God's elect, to exalt the Lord Jesus Christ, to magnify God's grace. Much more is in there for a reason. For if... If God would hold the offense of one Adam and cause every one that descended from Adam to have to die, much more God's grace and the gift flowing from that grace, which was purchased by the man Christ Jesus, hath abounded unto many. Brethren, here it is. Verses 12 through 14 tell us where death came from and that death reigns even over those that do not break a commandment like like Adam broke. Especially the category of infants. And I want you to remember that in the history of the world, probably half the human race has died in infancy. Do you understand that? You say, well, I don't know of any infants that have died. Any miscarriages in this assembly? Anybody want to raise, you don't have to raise your hands, but any miscarriages in this assembly? Yes. Ever been to a cemetery and seen all the little stones? Probably half the human race has died in infancy. They never saw a commandment given to them just like was given to Adam. And yet it tells us in verse 14 that though they did not sin after the similitude of Adam's transgression, death reigned. And everyone knows that infants die when if you go to a cemetery in an old cemetery, the new cemeteries stink. I hate new cemeteries. I like the old cemeteries where you get a stone, you learn a little bit about a family, and you see all those little stones. You need to go and see the little stones. Everybody, everybody that read the Bible understood what happened in the flood. Did five-year-olds die in the flood? Three-year-olds, one-year-olds, unborn children die in the flood? Did they die in the flood? How about the cities of Sodom, Gomorrah, and the plain? Were they burned up by fire and brimstone that fell from heaven? On what grounds were they worthy of death? They had not sinned after the similitude of Adam's transgression. Everyone that had reached the age of reason and conscience, this epistle has already told us, were without excuse and guilty before God. In their own right. But what would cause someone before that right to suffer the penalty of death? Adam's sin. Having read that, and we know that death is clutching at us, I don't bounce out of bed the way that I did the first 45 years of my life. Things change. We watch people around us die. We watch our parents age. We watch ourselves age. And death is clutching at us. And so we get that loud and clear in verses 12 through 14, but then we get a but in verse 15. And that but is that God's grace, and the gift by God's grace, which involves His own personal Son, Jesus Christ, whom He put to death, so that we might live, is the qualitative difference between Adam and Jesus Christ. There is a similarity. Adam is a figure of Jesus Christ, according to verse 14. But there are some things that are different between the two of them. And it's the quality of God's grace. If if you can know that death is taking you down, if you know you're going to die, I want to tell you something based on the gospel of Jesus Christ. You can know much more that you're going to live forever. Because of the quality difference between God enforcing Due to the bondage of a covenant, death upon Adam for his sin and upon all of us for his sin. Much more. This is the verse. This is what it's saying to us. Much more. You can lay a hold of eternal life and know that God is going to save you and will not lose you. Because he is going to apply his own son's death to pay off Adam's death. And it's going to be his grace and it's his free gift that he gives. It is the spontaneous desire of him to show and magnify the positive 
wonderful attributes of His nature by saving us. This is to magnify God's grace, it's to glorify Jesus Christ, and it's to comfort the hearts of God's elect, just like we've been learning throughout Romans chapter 5. God commendeth His love toward us. In Romans 8, verse 8, God commendeth His love toward us. How did He commend His love for us? He died for enemies, even though there's barely a man that would die for a good man or a righteous man. So that's how He commended His love for us. Then He showed us Adam's covenant, and He commends His love, He commends His grace, He commends His gift, He commends His Son by making a comparison of that imputation to the imputation in Adam. I'm using many words trying to communicate this to you to understand the qualitative difference of verse 15. The reason verse 15 is in the Bible to show you that God's grace is far greater than God's justice, which was forced in the case of Adam. God's free gift is far greater than the wages He paid in Eden. And God's Son is far greater than Adam, His creation in the Garden of Eden. And on that basis, the quality difference of God's grace is far greater. Marvelous grace of our loving Lord. Grace that is greater than all my sin, including Adam's sin. That is Romans chapter 5 and verse 15. I could belabor the point further. I have pages of notes on this particular point. I want you to see the quality. The next verse is the quantity. Verse 17 is the authority. Adam was a figure of Jesus Christ, but he wasn't a perfect figure. He couldn't be. Because the quality of salvation in Christ is far greater, much more, The quantity of what Jesus Christ did on the cross, we'll get to that later, is far greater, much more, than what Adam did to us. And the authority, the dominion that death had over us, is far less than the authority that we have now in life to where we can even mock death. Because we reign in life by one, Jesus Christ, the second Adam. I hope that I have communicated a little bit to you about the qualitative difference of God's grace, God's free gift, and God's Son, as opposed to paying wages forced by a covenant by the rebellion of Adam involving only a mere man made from the dust of the earth. No difference. I mean, the difference is great. There's no comparison, is what I meant to say, between the two. May God bless us to rejoice in His grace, His gift by grace, through the one man, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.